first time. You knew your heart. Someday, somewhere, I'll make a difference. It's a mockery. I mean, we're not some some deep space franchise. This station is about something. The year is 2023. The name of the podcast, Babylon 5, for the first time. Welcome to Babylon 5 for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. My name is Jeff Aiken, and I am watching Babylon 5 for the first time. And I'm Brent Allen, and I'm also watching Babylon 5 for the first time. Jeff and I are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the first time. And in this show, we are searching for what we like to call Star Trek-esque messages in the series and just trying to decide how awesome the series is in and of itself. And what is likely to become a problem for us here later, because we are Star Trek podcasters, is those references to that show. So we play a game called the Rule of Three that limits us to only three references apiece. That's it. Three. Uno, dos, tres. No substitutions, exchanges, or refund. <laughs> hey, Brent. Hey, Jeff. We have a five-star review. Oh, yes. This one is on Good Pods from Nico Mac, and it is very short, and it is very to the point. Nico Mac says, loving the show. But you have no idea. I think they meant that in a cool way. Like, we have no idea what we're getting into yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, uh, Nico, thank you. And you're right. We have no idea. None. Please don't tell us. <laughs> don't give us the idea. <laughs> right? We'll come up with them on our you own. Know, you know what? You know what? I've, I've um, you know, I, I feel like we harp on this all the time, Jeff. But the truth is, is we have so many people who are joining the show right now who haven't heard us harp on this, but when we talk about spoilers, guys, a piece of that, let me give you one piece that has recently cropped up for me, especially now that we're this far into the show, making all the connections of stuff that we've missed from season one and season two that are getting brought up now. And here's the thing. Um, when, when Jeff and I ask questions, those are really rhetorical questions to let you guys know what's going on in, th- in our heads we are not actually asking you to answer them unless we look into the camera and go, please answer this question as long as it's not a spoiler. If we do that, then cool. But generally speaking, it's not really a question we're asking. And we would rather discover the answer than have the answer told to us. Well, there's real stakes here. Like people, we've talked about doing Babylon 5 for the second time. Yeah. But if you give us all the answers, there's no point. There's no reason to do it for a second time. So don't rob us of that opportunity and don't rob yourself of yeah, don't rob the community because, exactly. because you're right. That second watch is where all of that comes in, where we go, Oh, I can't believe I missed that. Oh, that was all this plays into that. And, and all that, like, like that's going to be that show. And, and like and, 18 months, right? In 18 months, we're going to watch soul hunter and we're going to be like, Oh my God, I can't believe we hated this episode. Right. Right. And, and so here's the thing that I would say to you guys out there who are just charming at the bit being, Oh, but did you notice this? And what do you think about this? Like, I love that. Jeff loves that. We are a hundred percent in for that on the second watch. And when we get to the second watch, take all the reins off because we want every single bit of it. We want all the background information. We want all the spoilers. We want all the lurkers guide. We want everything on the second watch. Yeah. For right now, let's, let's, stay in because honestly jeff and i are just doing good to keep track of the names 
and just the <laughs> overall plot point right now. Like that's that's where we are right now in our watch. If you are desperate and you can't stop the flow of I know this and I know that and I have to tell you, we have a place you could do that. Good call, Jeff. Good call. Go to patreon.com slash Babylon five first, the number five, the word first. We have a Discord server and there's a sector there. I believe it's Red Sector. Mm-hmm. We don't have access. Brett and I don't have access. I don't I even forget that it's there because it's not on my screen. Yeah. So go there. We don't have access. You can talk about anything, right? You can call us idiots. You can laugh. You can be like, how did they know this? Whatever. It's all fair game. If you can't restrain yourself, head there. Also, supports the show. And we love you for doing that. We do. And to all of you out there who are doing your best to help keep us spoiler free, thank you so much. Please keep that up. And uh, to everyone who's new and joining us, if you feel like we've pointed a finger at you, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being enthusiastic about the show. And come with us on this journey. We love having you here. And Nico, you're awesome. Thank you. And you're right. We have no idea. Well, hey, over on our Twitter, at Babylon First, Mandrop, who's at SGDannyMG, has some pretty cool commentary on Londo. Says, Londo is the perfect cast member to turn into the villain, if you think about it. He's a buffoon. He's easy to understand. He's hopefully romantic, which generally is going to make him easy to corrupt. Plus, we've both laughed at him and with him. Jeff, i got to be honest with you, man. I know I've said the words here on the show, but I still have a hard time thinking of Londo as a villain. Really? I really do. Like, I still, like, as I don't want him to be the villain. I don't like him as the villain. He's the guy who got corrupted by the villain not the villain himself. Like that's, that's, that's the way I really kind of hold Londo and I don't want Londo to be the villain. And, and I don't want people to tell me that he's the villain and confirm that he's a villain. Cause I don't want him to be the villain. I, I like Londo. He's a villain just as much as Darth Vader was like, he's doing horrible things and he revels in it a mm. lot, but you're right. He was corrupted by Palpatine. Palpatine's yeah. the villain. Right. 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 And the holding Vader was, was a victim. We, we got that to come around and return to the Jedi. Don't know if we're going to get that here in Babylon five. And it's a metaphor I've been sticking to with Londo the whole time, but right now today in severed dreams, dude's a villain. Yeah. Although he was also really funny in this episode too. Villains can be fun. It's okay. It's okay. This, he got some comeuppance in this one. We'll get to talk <laughs> he did. about it. It's so good. It's it so good. <laughs> he deserved every bit of it. He did. The time has come, Jeff. The time has come to pay the piper. The time has come to take a look at what our predictions were last week, as we do at the end of every episode, another game that we love to play, and see how correct we were. So, Jeff, I will ask you, do you remember what you predicted last week Severed Dreams would be about, and how close were you? 100%. This is the one, I said. Sheridan makes his stand and pulls Babylon 5 away from Earth. Brent, you and I both called this in the Season 2 wrap-up. We thought this was coming. It was going to happen. And here we are. I honestly don't even remember what it was that made us start saying that. Like, like overall, it's the, this seems like the natural flow. It seems like where the writing's leading, but I, I honestly don't remember what it was coming out of season two. I think it was the title. I think it was the name of season three. I think our conversation, if I remember right, was it or a point of no return point of no return. And we're like, Mm. well, gosh, that's the only point we could think of. And especially, the night watch stuff was starting to ramp yeah. up at that point. Yeah. And I like, and I remember like, I remember saying it in season two and then I think I forgot about it for like four or five episodes. 
And then I was like, Hey, you know, so I was thinking about this and I think this might be where it's going. <laughs> like, yeah, it seems to be getting closer and closer to that, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, Jeff, you nailed it. You nailed it better than I did. I also said, this is the one where, where Babylon five breaks away from earth. That was, that was my prediction. However, I said that the way it would work, because that's the thing that's been confusing me is how, how does, how does a station which is being administered and ran by earth forces, a government, how do they break away? Like, what is the function of that? And I want to talk about that later on in this episode. But what I said was since the Narns have now come in as the new security force on board, the night watch president Clark was going to reaffirm the order for night watch to take over. And it was going to be this war kind of between the Narns and the night watch. And the Narns were basically going to win. And like, that's how we were going to, I guess like, militarily seize Babylon five and take control of it is what I was thinking. Um, but, uh, but no, that's not at all what happened. However, Babylon five definitely, I mean, uh, in a, in a clear line of demarcation said, this is it. We're away. Well, Brent, it's time for you to just tell everybody that exactly. If you have not seen this episode in a while, if you're watching along with us and and need a little reminder, or if you aren't watching it all and just listening to us anyway, Brent, break it down. What happened in Severed Dreams? Well, two weeks ago, President Clark declared martial law. Last week, Sheridan used a technicality to defy EarthGov. And this week, EarthGov is coming to get Sheridan and Babylon 5. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Our episode opens on Londo complaining very loudly while standing in line as his mouth gets him in trouble with the local Narn officer checking people in through customs. It's a very funny scene, but Londo declares none of these would have happened if the humans hadn't started fighting each other. And on cue, we flash to somewhere else in the galaxy. General Haig's ship, the Alexander, is now commanded by the time-traveling Captain Braxton. No, I'm I'm sorry. It's just Major Ryan. No word if he's related to Private Ryan. But anyway, they're going mono mono with the Clarkstown. Both ships are damaged pretty good, and despite his misgivings, Major Ryan orders an open fire on the Clarkstown. And with all the precision of Luke using the force to drop a couple of torpedoes down an exhaust tube, the Alexander takes out the Clarkstown. And what should be a moment of celebration is actually a moment of sober reflection because we knew these people on that ship. They were not some nameless enemy. They were our friends. They had families back home that we knew. No time to mourn, though. The Alexander needs to get out of there super fast and find a place to make some repairs. In order to do that, there's only one place to go. You guessed it. Babylon 5. Now, while the Alexander is on its way, let's check in with Delin and Lanier. They are tending to a Mimbari ranger, I suppose he is, who is badly injured and has just been doing some recon in the non-aligned worlds. It seems that many of those worlds have aligned themselves with the shadows, but now they're actually fighting each other. The Great Council is staying out of it because, after all, the problems of others are not our concern. And Delenn, being former Great Council member herself, isn't having that. And she sets out for Minbar to confront the Great Council. Back on Babylon 5, having made contact with the Alexander, Sheridan orders a comms blackout, all except for the ISN feed, which they watch as the news reports that Mars is refusing to implement the martial law order. It's not long before President Clark has sent bomber Star Furies to Mars, and they launch against the civilian populations 
And they break their way into the studios at ISN and shut that news feed down. This seems to be the final straw for a handful of colonies and outposts out there, namely Orion 7 and Proxima 3 or Orion 3 and Proxima 7. I don't remember which order it was in. Whatever, they have declared their independence from EarthGov in protest of the Mars bombings. Freaked out by the possibility that Babylon 5 may join them, President Clark sends a big armada to come take Babylon 5 and arrest Sheridan and the rest of the command staff. Thankfully, though, Captain Hiroshi of the EAS Churchill has intercepted that message and has come to warn and stand with Babylon 5 and the Alexander. Sheridan explains the situation to his command staff. They now have a choice to make. You see, Sheridan promised to Lynn that he would draw a line against the darkness, and the line must be drawn here, here, and no further. So will they surrender to the oncoming EAS ships, or will they fight? One by one, the entire command staff chooses to stand and fight. In tapping into Draw's holographic comm system, Sheridan has a speech to give to everyone on board Babylon 5. In it, he lays out all of the atrocities and illegal actions that President Clark has committed. And in a move that no one saw coming, Sheridan declares Babylon 5 as an independent state, free from EarthGov. And okay, so with that under under our belts, it's time to make preparations to fight because those guys are coming. Well, while they're doing that, Delenn has arrived at the chambers of the Grey Council, citing Valen's name and Ducat's name and my own name, not mine, hers. She marches into the chamber and gives those hooded, cloaked members a what for, breaks a sparkly staff, and urges the council members to break the Grey Council and come with her. And it works all except for the warrior cast members. Well, back on Babylon 5, after a pep talk from his dad, his awesome dad, by the way, Sheridan and his crew are ready for a fight. A fight that they won't start, but they will finish. And boy, oh boy, does a fight come. The Earth ships arrive, and honestly, it is one of the greatest and lengthiest space battles that I have ever seen put to the small screen. Ships are flying back and forth. Star Furies are exploding. People are ejecting. Soldiers are breaching the Babylon 5 hull. Fists are being thrown. The Churchill is done for. And in a George Kirk-type maneuver, Captain Hiroshi orders what's left of her ship to ram into one of the Earth Force ships. There's a brief pause in the fighting, but that is until the jump gate activates and more Earth ships come pouring through. It all looks lost because Babylon 5 and Alexander have given all that they have. And then the lieutenant, who just got a promotion a couple weeks ago, says, Captain, jump points are opening just above the station. Four of them. And with three simple words, on your left, Delenn and the Mimbari have come to the rescue. She's direct. She's vicious. She's cunning. She goes eye to eye with the captain of the Earth ship, and she doesn't blink. And in the most badass speech ever that I've ever heard in the middle of a war, she says the only one who has ever defeated a Mimbari vessel and lived to tell about it is on board Babylon 5, and he is behind me, but you are in front of me. If you want to live, be somewhere else. And somewhere else, they went. Back on the station, it's really a sad scene. The bodies of both Narn and humans are strewn everywhere. Some dead, some barely gasping for life. 
Babylon 5 has lost nearly a third of its Star Fury squadron, but Delenn and John reunite as partners, or maybe partners with benefits, if you ask me. In the end, the Alexander is off, looking for other ships that are loyal to their cause and their movement. And oh yeah, since the Churchill got blowed up real good, they left behind a bunch of orphaned Star Furies and pilots, and Sheridan just happens to have room for them, because... After all, taking them in is exactly what Captain Hiroshi would have wanted him to do. As the episode ends, Sheridan and his staff step out onto the Zocalo, where the residents of Babylon 5 are applauding and cheering for the captain who stood up to tyranny and to President Clark. Jeff, what did you think of this episode, Severed Dreams? God, it was so boring. (laughs) How could anybody be into this thing? Okay, I I can't. I can't. Dude, this episode was awesome. This This was... this was so good. It was so good. I was this, watching. I'm sorry. This. this is the kind of an episode that makes somebody a fan of the show, right? Like if you're, if you've never seen an episode of, of Babylon five, you have everything you need going into the show. They tell you what you need at the beginning. Like it doesn't even matter if you haven't seen up to this point, this, this show will hook you. Cause now you got, this is the you, gateway. Yeah. Like you've got to know what happened to get you to this point, but you also need to know what happens next. But uh, you can go back and see what happened. Like you watch this and this will hook you. And then you'll go back and watch this stuff. My wife, who I've talked about a lot of times on this podcast, because she's awesome. care. She is amazing. She's, we have amazing wives. Like, mm-hmm. let's just take a second and acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. But I agree. she's not into Babylon five. I don't think your wife's into Babylon five. I think they both kind of make fun of us a little bit for watching and talking about Babylon five they just wait honestly mine just waits for me to be done talking to you so i can actually you know rejoin the family <laughs> same totally the same in fact last week i did get in a little bit of trouble for or come to bed like you know, <laughs> some nights like, she's like it's three o'clock are you still up there yeah, yeah we have more to talk about right we've only gotten through a part of it <laughs> so much to talk but no i was watching this on the couch and she's sitting next to me and she's working she's got her laptop and she's uh-huh. doing some work and sheridan holograph sheridan's given his speech and he's like just like them we are effective immediately seceding from the earth alliance and she just goes (gasps) she stops (laughs) and she looks and she was glued the rest of the episode yeah nice like it it, it brought her in did she ask did she ask you about lame five anymore not not, at least not this time (laughs) we'll see we'll see We'll see what happens in the next couple of episodes, right? And that's usually my daughter who hits right, me with that right, stuff. Yeah, but, yeah, but but no, I I feel like what I loved about this episode is that it's part of three episodes. Like I feel like you can watch Messages from Earth, Point of No Return, Severed Dreams, back to back to back, and it's one episode. Yeah, like it just flows. Everything builds to something else. They they feel fully included, but inclusive, but they also feel like their own little wrapped together like tv nowadays you know where it's 10 episodes and it's all one story arc like you can't just be like oh i'm gonna watch this one episode of wednesday you know or whatever you're like shoot i gotta watch the whole stinking thing yeah you can watch any one of these three and be like what a great episode that was good on off i'm I'm good to go Mm -hmm. or you can watch all of them it all works together the two other things i really like a couple things i say two a couple I love that we met Sheridan's dad. Like I loved that his last like act as a human being was to call his parents Mm -hmm. and they're awesome. Like unbelievably awesome. 
And your mom's in town running errands. You know how she is. Yeah, just doing her thing. Oh, it was such, it was great. And Bruce Boxleitner brought so much to that scene. Oh, you he know, really like, did. So much gravitas to that scene. Yeah. At the end, when he's like, hey, love to you both. Like, you're like, he does. He loves them. <laughs> like, it's so clear and obvious. And he's accepting he's never going to talk to them again. Like, he knows this isn't going to go well. I love, I, I questioned Zach last week. You know, I, I didn't buy it. I buy it. I'm in on Zach. Zach is is back with the DVD cover humans. Like he's in. That's good. Uh, gosh, what else was Wait, so I'm good? Sorry. Was Zach in this episode? I don't remember him at all. Yeah, Zach was in the. Uh, so Garibaldi got hurt. Oh, that's when they right. were repelling yeah. borders. Yep, and he helped him out. He was wearing the riot gear, and he helped him helped him get back up. And that was the moment I'm like, okay, Zach's in. Like Zach, he he was firing on Earth Earth Force people. Yeah, I am. I am excited for us to talk about the league worlds and the shadow stuff the game the shadows are playing the shadow war that they're literally setting up and i've got a lot of questions about delenn and the great council stuff and kind of where that's going to go but what about you what were your first reactions to this one i loved this episode i i loved every single moment of this episode start to finish there wasn't a part a part of this that i was like okay are they moving on yet um, I looked up at the end and I was like, that was 45 minutes. It felt like 15. That's how good this episode was. The standout moment of the whole thing or the standout sequence, I suppose I should say is the, the space battle big time in this one. Um, especially when you consider what we heard, I th- was it last week we had major Barrett as a, as a guest star, mm-hmm. you had relayed something that she had said of this show and another sci-fi show that she's associated with are two very different shows and what this show is doing on a shoestring budget is phenomenal. Yeah. I felt like I could see the budget in this one, but all that money. Oh, and then, and then the, I don't know, Jeff, the, the, the laser beams from the PPGs and the rifles and everything looked awful in this episode. Yeah. However, the space battle was beautiful and phenomenal to look at especially considering this is 1996 yeah i literally thought with the ppgs like my immediate thought was those are expensive and there's a lot of them and so they're literally just like yeah take all the sparkle stuff away and like what can you give me for five bucks and and do that but the space battle stuff i was i was literally watching it and just thinking just the the straight up the balls of jms to walk into babylon 5 when it started and be like we're doing CG. That's how we're doing our effects. And and Brent, season one was embarrassingly horrible. The the, the effects and the graphics. I, I have to imagine there were times in the first, maybe even part of the second season where he, because he knew we were building to this. Mm-hmm. And is he just like, oh my God, I don't know if we're going to be able to do it or not. But they had, you know, episodes like The Long Twilight Struggle and Fall of Night and stuff to like, hey, let's do some other big ones. Voices. Now, voice, there's one this, uh, this, this season that had a, had a bunch of effect in it as well. It's kind of like test things, but they could not have done this in season one. Like mm-hmm. this, this, this was the perfect culmination of the technology and the story coming together at the perfect time. I mean, and Jeff, we've seen really good space battles out there. You know, we, we've seen it in other sci-fi shows. We've seen, well, it I think in- Battlestar Galactica. I love, I've always the new, the, I've always loved the, the, the space battles there. And this was so remnant when the star fire, the, the star fairies opened fire, 
that just screamed Battlestar Galacta to me. Galactica to me. Jeff, when when the Star Furies were going through their launch sequence, now I love the launch sequence. When it comes down to it, and people ask me, like, what's my favorite thing to see in Babylon 5? It's the Star Fury launch sequence. I love that. The you know, I just all the people listening to the audio version out there are like, what was that noise? Right. Just picture the launch sequence. Brent did it with his hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My wife makes fun of me all the time because I ask you sound effects for everything. She's like, you really didn't need to do the sound effect. I'm like, yes, I did. Anyway, um, I, I love that launch sequence, but this was the sharpest looking launch sequence I've ever seen in my life. When, when Ivanova goes out and she's joining them, which I want to talk about that, whether mm-hmm. she really should have joined them or not. I have, I have a for and an against for why that she should have done that, but they're out there fighting. She goes through the ejection piece. The star fury bangs into the ship. The, the, the Churchill bangs into the Roanoke. Um, I mean, these guys are just going after it, going after it. The, 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 the cannons are are shooting and moving and uh, oh my gosh like this is just it's so good yeah you know you you just you pair that with these amazing speeches that we got we got more than one um i i had to bleep myself in the the reaction video really because i didn't even realize i said something and it was like i dropped a full-on f-bomb like like i was like that's the most beep bad beep speech i've ever heard but i mean sheridan's breakaway speech his succession speech was on point yeah he delivered he delivered a perfect speech here's what's happening here are the atrocities i mean it's what our declaration of independence is here in america here's what's going on here's all the things that he's done wrong and therefore we're now out and here's our terms that's that's how that speech went his speech to his staff of, of where he went around and he's like, all right, we got a choice to make. Are you in or are you out? And he let them all choose. And he, he gave his, you know, uh, uh, he gave his line that he did about drawing a line. You know, we, mm-hmm. we got to hold it here. And, and then, I mean, and then honestly, Delenn coming out and just Mira Ferlin. Oh my gosh. Like what she gave to the great council, what she gave to the one dude who was trying to stand in her way of getting into the great council and then what she gave to the Earth Force guys when she came through the wormholes and was like, on your left, like, I'm here, Cap, you know, even Bombay, let's go. Like, we're going to get you, you know? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was just, and 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 if the Russo brothers were inspired in that, in that moment in Endgame by this particular moment in Babylon 5, it would not surprise me. I know that they pulled stuff that they were inspired by Star Trek in to their films. It would not surprise me that they also did that with other sci-fi franchises like Babylon five. Totally. Yeah. I loved the thing I loved about Delenn and, and like just, I mean, just laying it down was each time she took a very different approach, right? So when she's one-on-one with that guy, it was about invoking the, the big names, you know, Valen, the name of Ducat, you know, like I have his blood on my hands. In the name of me, in the name of in the me. name of Ducat and my own name. Yeah. I was like, whoa. But she's hitting this guy personal in the beliefs, right? Like, this is what we believe, and I'm gonna hit you in them. Then she goes to the Great Council, and that's more more of a political speech that she gave, which was that whole the the the, the whole like this is who we say we are, 
This is our mission statement. You are full of crap and you don't believe any of it. And this is what's going. Give us impassioned speech about that, that you could see on the, the, the floor of Congress or the United Nations, you know, anywhere sort of a thing. Then she gets in the command chair of the white, the white star and she just straight up military. Was that the white star she was on? It was the white star. I wasn't yep. sure. Yeah, I wasn't sure. It just flew by really quick. Yeah. But, but it was, it was clearly different than the big warships, the war cruisers that came through. But yeah, she's just, I mean, she's literally just going to the big bully and just being like, look, cool. You want to pick on this guy? Fine. Yeah, he's beat up, whatever. Also, I will kill you. I will straight murder you. I'm going to count to three. Like she was amazing. Three very different versions of her and all perfectly effective. The only part that I thought was a little lame was how as soon as she said that, the very next shot was the shot of the jump gate opening and the earth ships running away. Like that was a, that was a quick turn. And I was like, that one felt a little whatever, but I also felt like they were running short on time in that episode. Like, yeah, I could see that being like, maybe there was another conversation that happened there and they're like, we got to cut something. <laughs> My, I, I thought the, the first thing I thought the first time I watched it was dude, I would run. I mean, they, they totally waltzed through Earth's defensives, defenses in the war. Ten, you know, what, 12 years ago, 13 years ago now. I mean, they, they didn't lose a single ship, a single soldier until Sheridan, you know, went and did his star killer thing. So yeah, the, these people are captains. They've been around. They fought in the Earth Minbari war. They remember they're gone. But on my second watch through, I remember in, and now for a word where the Senate oversight guy was like, we got these cool new weapons now. You know, I think we'd hold our own in a war against the Minbari. I don't think we necessarily need a space station for this stuff. We'd, well, your soldiers don't think you can hold your own because they were out of there. Stand by. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your Babylon 5 for the first time experience to the next level? With our exclusive Patreon, you'll get access to all kinds of cool stuff that you can only find there. Our recording notes, unedited reaction videos, an exclusive Discord community. And you can even be listed as a producer of the show. Plus, we even offer exclusive meet and greets and hangouts. You won't find this kind of experience anywhere else. Get all these amazing benefits, plus the opportunity to interact with other fans from around the world. It's being part of a huge community where everyone shares the same appreciation for Babylon 5. Subscribe at patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. That's the number five in the word first to get access to these incredible benefits. That's patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. We can't wait to see you there. Um, but uh, yeah, this was just, this was a, a cool episode. Jeff, I don't even know where to start. Well, let's, let's talk about the Minbari stuff. Cause we're, we're in it cool. right now. And I, the whole thing started, I, I made the same assumption that you did that, that, um, beat up Minbari in the early part was a ranger. Cause that's their job, right? Going out and, and listening to the stuff. But, uh, I want to talk about the shadow stuff he, he shared yeah. afterwards after we get through the other Minbari stuff, but just one ridiculous thing with, okay. with, with, with Delenn. So she busts in to the gray council, the chambers there. All the dudes are just standing there in their light circles with their hoods drawn. Yeah. Is that what they do? Well, <laughs> they just so stand there. 
I, I know they have the hoods. I know they have the cloaks. I know their official meeting thing is in this circle with the lights, which just seems ridiculous. Cause like, listen, we're going to be here talking. Give me a chair or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like, dude, it's just the nine of us. It's okay. Like we know who each other is. This is not a secret. Um, but in this particular case, like I, Jeff, I, I feel like more and more, I am seeing the production of the show as I'm watching it. And in this one, I just went, you didn't have the money to put these guys in makeup. So you threw the cloak over. Them. Yeah. Yep. Like, and you just put them in a room with a blue yeah. screen and some lights. Like, how can we just, how, how can I do this on five bucks? And you know, like I thought it was, I thought that particular scene in this one stuck me as a little weird. Like there's the eight members of the, the great council and there's one light that doesn't have anybody in it. And Delenn walks straight into the middle of the circle to a light that's right in the middle. And then the guy closes the circle and comes in around. I was like, wait a minute. Why wasn't he there to begin with? Was he late? Did it just happen to work out that way? Like, did he step aside so she could walk in? And th that seems pretty cool of him. Right. It, it just felt very convenient blocking, which I'm sure actually is what it was in real life. Well, the, the, the lighting wasn't good, you know, in that scene when she's giving her speech. And I loved it, too, because she goes individually, person yeah. by person and gives him a piece. But the lighting took away from it a little bit. And then the scene where she goes and grabs dude's staff. Okay, so the, so so let's break that down. The guy with the staff, apparently the leader of the Great Council, we assume? I, I guess so. Or just yeah. somebody in the Great... But she goes and she breaks the staff, and it's got this electricity sparkly thing. What is that staff? What is it supposed to be? Why does it sparkle with electricity? How could she break it just... Oh, like, just total strong... She didn't even do it over her knee. Like she just snapped it. Like, like she had a Twix bar and was like, yeah, you want a piece? Here you go. But she, when she's doing that though, she's talking about the prophecy that the council must be broken. Have we heard this prophecy before? We know we have asked what this prophecy is. We've never actually heard the prophecy. We know pieces of it. The, the, the Mimbari are going to have to reunite with the two halves of their souls mm -hmm. in order to defeat the coming war. Somehow the prophecy has to do with Delenn getting the triluminary and going into the chrysalis and growing hair. It has to do with her doing like, and she forced it on them mm -hmm. because this is the time I, I, I didn't catch that. The prophecy said that the council had to be broken. Although now that I think about it, that might be something she was saying. What I, what I interpreted it as was she was saying, uh, you know, the prophecy, you know, what's upon us. You guys as a council have failed and refused to do your job. And now you must break the council to come with me because these guys aren't going to go as a council. You can't go because these warrior cast guys over here, they're not going to do it. So break the council and come with me so we can fulfill the prophecy. That's the way I interpreted it. But now that you say that it is possible. Just I th I th it was either just before, or just after she took the staff and, and busted it. She says, we must break the council as has been prophesied. Did like, she say that? Really? Yeah, like it was okay. this big declaration. And then she drops the ultimatum. We either do this now together or we don't do it at all. And I'm like, really? Like, I feel like that ultimatum doesn't fit here necessarily. I mean, I get, you know, getting her and getting the ships to go save Babylon 5. But there, I, if they cut out a scene where there was a back and forth between the Earth ships before they Mm -hmm. tuck tail and ran to the jump gate i feel like they cut some scenes or some moments in this gray council piece because it just didn't it doesn't all connect like all the dots don't connect in that scene for, at least not for me 
Yeah, there, there's definitely still some questions left out there about what's out there. For those of you watching and listening, please don't tell us. <laughs> don't want to know. Yeah, we'll find out. We'll get there. But these are the questions in our mind right now. I, we definitely don't know what the entirety of that prophecy is. I, I hope we get it before the end of the show. That just means by the end of season five, like unveil it as you need to. It feels very convenient right now. Like, well, we'll just, we'll pull out this prophecy. We'll pull out this plot need right now and call it prophecy and then, and then make it happen. But except, except though, Jeff, I want to push back on that because we've known about the prophecy. The prophecy has been around. Like this seems like the right next step. We, we've known about the prophecy of, of the souls and the coming together, the shadows, like all those pieces, but this whole breaking of the council thing, like that's, that's brand new. I think Jeff, I have a big question and okay. I didn't understand this. Dylan grabs that staff from dude. I don't know if he's a leader dude or not, but she grabs the staff. She's like, we're going to break it. And, and you said a second ago, like it just snapped like a twig, but suddenly it had all the sparkly electric energy in it. What was that? What is the deal? Like, is there some sort of, is this a magic staff and the magic just got broken? Like, I don't understand. I didn't get it at all. And literally in a scene that they're trying to do on five bucks for them to take a minute and do that electric, like it had a purpose. It definitely had a purpose. There were scenes, if I remember right, in the sky full of stars okay. where Sin- we got the insight into Sinclair and his time on the Minbari vessel the first time uh-huh. we saw they had like the little triangle um, pew pew things they would use. And sometimes I think they even had it on a staff, but it, this wasn't that like, it wasn't the triangle. It was like a diamond shape yeah. on the top. Like, as I'm talking through it, like I was like, Oh, maybe it's this thing that we saw way back then, but no, it's a totally different thing. You know what else we haven't seen in a while? You remember when the, the, the triangle would appear in their head and like Dylan, yeah. like couldn't control it. She had to hide it uh, when she met Morden. And then um, the the dude who was like hanging out in her closet that one time was when Sinclair was figuring some stuff out. I'm assuming that that's just a, a thread that JMS was like, yeah, I'm not going to continue that and just dropped it. It was like in the miniseries for Battlestar Galactica when Baltar and number six were in bed and her spine lit up. And then yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, well, we never saw that again. That was a cool teaser scene that they did. And that was it. Mm hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I, I I think for me, I can wrap the whole thing of the Minbari and Delenn coming in on the Calvary, breaking the council into one single question. Okay. And that is, what are the consequences to this going to be? Well, I, I mean, you, you clearly have two-thirds of the ruling body of the Minbari with an active Minbari slash human ranger force now actively protecting Babylon 5 and going against what the warrior cast has done. It occurs to me that we could see a fracturing of the Mimbari society and that the warrior cast winds up joining up with the shadows. That's what occurs to me that could wind up happening. I mean, it, it makes sense writing wise, you know, because otherwise what, why even have the warrior cast there? Um, I will say this. I did notice when Delenn walked out, that what we saw on screen was three members left of the great council who did not yes. leave with her. One of them like grabbed somebody's arm and they like shoved his arm away. But when we last saw the, the great council, there were four warrior cast members. So was there a fourth guy that we just didn't see who was off screen or was that who got his arm grabbed? And the warrior cast guy was like, nah, screw you. I'm out of here. First time I watched this, I left with the mindset of there are three left who on the warrior cast left. Uh huh. With them, that was my thought. 
The second time I watched it, instead of counting the people that were left, I counted the people that walked away. Okay. Five people walked away, including the guy who stopped at the end and who was like other, cause I think other dude was literally just like, are you sure, man? Are you yeah, sure? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm sure I'm out of here. So five people walked away plus to Len, which would leave four. So I think, I think that dude closing the circle like you were asking about earlier was they probably only had eight people <laughs> who they could get robes on and they had to do some like blocking and positioning. And so when they walked out, well, shoot, I guess we're going to have to do it like this and hope nobody notices. Yeah. So I, my, my thought was that there's a fourth member. It's just someone who was off screen. We just didn't see him. They were off screen. That was, that was what I assumed, but there was that guy who was like, got his arm grabbed. I thought maybe he might've, he might've. but I think with the, with the Minbari coming in under the, the, the umbrella of Babylon five, uh-huh. there's a real, that's, that's we, this started a little while ago back in uh, comes the inquisitor when they introduced, was that when they introduced Sheridan to the Rangers was comes the inquisitor? I think. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, wait a minute. I don't remember. It was one of those like later season two episodes where after a whole bunch of stuff happened, Delenn and Kosh brought, Sheridan in and showed him the Rangers and decided to share uh, command of them basically. But so, and then in that, in that similar episode or one close to it is when Drawl came on and Drawl says, um, Hey, I'm here to help you. Epsilon three is here to help Babylon five. Like that's going to happen. So now what we end up with is we've got former earth force people. We've got Epsilon three. We've got the Rangers. We've got the Narn. Because even the Narn were like, yeah, we're going to be loyal to Babylon 5. And then we have the potential of Mars, Orion 7, and Proxima 3 all landing under this umbrella of Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is going to be the universe, right, that everyone comes and connects to, I think, is where this is going. Yeah. I, I There's, there's going to have to be something where Babylon 5 has to, like part of developing their, its independence, they're now going to have to decide who they are, what they stand for, what they're about, who's who they're going to interact with, like all that sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the idea that that you know what was Babylon Five? They were this great meeting place of everybody in in the in the stars. So these guys are all going to have to kind of like where you said everybody's going to have to come to Babylon Five, like that. I I almost wonder if that's going to be renewed in the new government, whatever that is. Of oh, like, yeah. this is the new last best hope for peace. <laughs> you know, well, what our, it becomes, what it becomes is you'll have all these different factions, these different races and places from different, uh, different governments, Proximus three and all those all coming together in the big meeting room that we have for the council chambers. And you're going to see Sheridan wearing this really nice dress uniform. And he's going to be giving this impassioned speech about how now that we're all together, we can bond as the United Federation of Planets. This is where the Federation starts <laughs> at Babylon 5. Right. Yeah, it's it makes sense to me. You know, we've been told that, uh, uh, I'm going to carry off yours because I've already used all three of mine, that, you know, Star Trek is like, here's the picture of the utopian society in the future, and Babylon 5 is, here's how we got there. <laughs> so it makes sense to me. Between the uh, what the Terra Firma Enterprise episodes, the the were the real finale to 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 Enterprise, and then the these were the voyages or whatever, Babylon Five happens in that space. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. Hey, yeah. I buy it. It makes sense. 
But I do think I, I'm, I'm fascinated by your thought about the warrior cast allying themselves with the shadows, but it checks out. I mean, they just want to fight. They just want to be in charge. And knowing what that ranger shared with us, that the they're making these alliances with league worlds and then making them fight each other, essentially, totally makes sense. So I, can we talk about that? Yeah. Okay. How do how do worlds make alliances with the shadows? Through Anna Sheridan is how they do it. Anna Sheridan shows up dead. on the Drazi world. She is dead. She and Morden are out signing treaties and agreements with all these league worlds. Wow. And what's fascinating is they're doing it, telling them that they need protection against the growing Centauri threat when the shadows are the force behind. The, I mean, it's it's so brilliant. Well, well, but but they're not because they've broken away. But even though Rifa and the shadows still have their kind of deal, uh, there is a line, you know, and we heard in an episode or two ago there, the shadows are amassing their forces on the Centauri border, you know, so there's, there's, there's all of that, but you know, imagine the, the pompousness that people don't think they can be defeated as long as they have the shadows at their back. Yeah. But like, I'm, but I'm sitting here going, but how do they know what the shadows are? Because that's the whole thing is people didn't really know what the shadow, like Jakar apparently knew just fine. Delin knew. I love. Did you hear what Delin called all the other worlds? The younger worlds. Yeah. I was like, okay, wait. Are you an old? Is Minbar an older world? Are they? Are were they around in the 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 first one? Were they? Are they first ones? I don't think they're first ones. So if we look at the the time scale, the last big huge war was ten thousand years ago. Thousand years now. Ago. Well, the big the big one was ten thousand years. That was the Vorlons and the the all the ancient ones and the first ones. And then the the next big one, big one, not huge, was a thousand years ago. And that's where the Narn, where Jaquan came up and whatever. But they the the Narn were just farmers up on their northern continent, you know, whatever, and happened to observe some. They weren't spacefaring yet, right? I think the Minbari were the younger world in that Back one then. where yeah where they were spacefaring like but they were the the they were the earth right the new kid on the block and so in in mass effect terms they're the asari they're the old race that are still active in galactic politics and are and are there but everyone looks to them and in the last reaper uh sweeping the asari were the only one of the current races that like had sentient people and so that means nothing to you. But like, there's this great line where they talk about how the Salarians, who are one of the races, who have a character named Morden, by the way, who's very <laughs> different than the Morden we know. Okay. But uh, they say, yeah, the the Salarians ate flies. Like they were just these like amphibians that sat and ate flies. But the Asari, like they weren't spacefaring or anything, but they were there. So I think that's the Minbari. They were they've been around a while. They'll be the next first one, if that makes any sense. It'll be the second ones. Um, all right. So I have one more Delenn question and then I'm done with Delenn. Not even a question, just a pointing out. Uh, oh, she has this singular moment with Jakar where she says, you know what? I don't think you're the person that I met four years ago anymore. You've become something different. That's a, that's an interesting line. That's a cool line. And it, it makes you think like, okay, wait, who was Jakar and what is he now? Because there's there's the recent experience he's had where he had this vision of Jalon, right? But he has been on this trip, like this path, for a couple of seasons now too. Like this isn't just new, but uh, like 
again, not really a question, just a, a note. Like, well, I made a similar a similar note because I noticed in in point of no return when he kind of shared his idea. You know, uh-huh. hey, I've got this idea. Let's go talk. And then when they and then once they said, hey, here's the security force. You know, and he kind of like saluted and whatever. He had this kind of spring in his step. You know, mm-hmm. was kind of stepping a little more lively he's got the support of the narns on the station he's helping out the crew on babylon 5 everything's great when he shows up creepily out from behind a bunch of crates where like they're secretly talking to this ranger and he's like oh hi yeah i've been here the whole time just uh watching you with this guy bleeding i'll just deadlift him and carry him for you well how far can you carry him as far as you need and even as he's carrying ranger guy he's got this little spring in his step and it really is to me i think like he's all in on like serving others where the jakar we used to know midnight on the firing line jakar who went where the narn attacked ragesh three and he's in the council chambers blaming the centauri for the whole thing like he was a conniving terrible politician and orator who could make anyone gaslight anybody into thinking they'd done something wrong that was old jakar new jakar will deadlift a dude who can't bear his own weight and carry him as far as he needs to. And he'll he'll bend the rules and get done what we need to get done for what we got here because this is the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Well, let's 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 talk about um let's talk about Major Ryan. Okay. And and all yeah. this stuff that went down. Captain Braxton. Let's got it. Let's go. Dude, not only is he Captain Braxton, dude is a legend. Bruce McGill? Yeah. I mean, dude, his IMDb page, you could stack it and go to the moon. Like, he's done everything. He was in Animal House with Stephen First. Was he really? D-Day is who he played back then. But, like, this is like he was just starting to kind of come into his own. But uh-huh. a long time ago, somebody shared with me a clip on YouTube. And here's the thing. Again, if you're listening, if you're watching, and you want to share with us a YouTube clip, tell us what it is. Don't tell. Don't say, hey, it's cool, no whatever. Don't give us any, just say, just tell us exactly what it is. Cause someone said, Hey, just check this out. It's fine. It wasn't fine. Uh, it was from a season three blooper reel oh, yeah. and it was Bruce McGill, uh, in the scene where they're like, Hey, what, where's general Haig? When's general Haig going to come in? And Bruce McGill, major Ryan says, general Haig is doing deep space nine. No, he didn't. He did. No, he like, didn't. He just, and he goes on and he's like, yeah. Apparently he was double booked and he took the, the Star Trek gig. And that's true. Like he was double booked. He was booked to, to but that's um, why that happened in real life. Like that's, that's why Haig didn't come back because he was, yeah. I guess shooting. What, what is that home front over on deep space nine? Oh my God. So fun, a couple of fun facts. So one, he was signed up. This is my understanding again. And this is from a rabbit hole. Someone, I, I, someone gave it to me. I jumped into it, uh-huh. but I know it. So I'll, I'll share it. But, he he uh, was booked to come and film the uh, severed dreams. Same time Homefront was filming. His uh, his representation was like, yeah, Star Trek's a two parter. Like it's double the money. Go do that. That's why JMS killed him. No, really? <laughs> I can't blame him. I honestly can't blame him for that. Like, <laughs> yeah. but here's the cool thing: if yeah. you are familiar with the Homefront two parter. Homefront and Paradise Lost, I think, is the two-parter. Uh-huh. It's where uh, Cisco gets recalled, and he's on Earth, and a lot of stuff happens on Earth. He, uh, Robert Foxworth, who's General Haig, plays Admiral Layton. Do you remember what Admiral Layton was doing in Homefront? 
Yeah, he was the, he was the bad admiral. He was trying to to do the coup. He was trying to be president. Well, I guess not President Clark, but he was he was trying to take over. Yeah, he you know, so he so he was an evil version do, of General Hag. Do I remember what happened in a Star Trek episode? Really, Jeff? Right, you've seen everyone at least forty seven times. So. Forty eight now, <laughs> right? Yeah, but no, it's, it was a rhetorical question. But I just thought it was great the parallel where he's evil guy staging a coup against the Federation president in Star Trek. But over here, he's good general staging a coup against the evil president. And I'll take it. But yeah, so that's why we got Major Ryan, who I loved. He was great. He really was. Bruce McGill really has been in everything. <laughs> like, he has so many credits to his name, man. It's, it's ridiculous. He was in My Cousin Vinny. That's, that's, I think the one that I really, really know him from, you know, honestly, Oh, mm, this isn't a reference because we're talking about the man. This isn't the first time that Bruce McGill comes in to replace a, a character either, because that's You've where already we got made Captain this Braxton. Yeah. That's where we got Captain. He be, he came in to replace the old Captain Braxton. I don't know why, but just, he did it better. You know, like yeah, he was great. He really was. And now he's replacing general. Hague. Okay. But he's a okay. I just want to say this: you're a military guy, Jeff. I'm not former, former, right? Yeah, um, I'm not a military guy. Don't ever define so me like that. You, you have you have General Haig, and the next highest person is Major Ryan. I I don't know. I don't know how all the ranks go, but that seems like a pretty far drop. Well, I got to imagine there are colonels and other things like that, but also maybe not. So it's it's weird. There's a blending of what I'll call ground uh, military ranks, like the, uh -huh. the Marines and the Army and Navy ranks. So Captain Sheridan, Captain Hiroshi, Commander Ivanova, these are naval ranks. A captain in the Navy, right, gets to command a big ship. I was on a submarine, fast attack. Our commanding officer was a commander. Our XO was a lieutenant commander. If you're okay. on a ballistic missile submarine, this is back in the 90s, your commanding officer is a captain and the first officer is a commander. So, okay. And we, and we see stuff like that in other sci fi, right? The smaller ships go to smaller ranks. But then, major? Like, ma yeah. there is no major in the Navy. Like, you go lieutenant commander, commander, captain, and then you're into the admiralty from there. You know, so you're a full bird captain, full bird colonel to go, but it's, you know, major to lieutenant colonel, colonel. And then the general ranks. So right. I don't, I don't understand how they, they do their ranks and all of this. It does not make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I, I mean, I just, my biggest reference for this frame of reference is from Stargate SG one where there's a major and then there's a Colonel mm -hmm. and, and there's a spot where the Colonel gets taken out and people are like, well, why don't we just let the major lead it? And the general who's in charge of the whole thing says to them, like says to the, to the, to the non-military person, it's a far cry from major to colonel. Like we need somebody else in here to lead this because that major is just not ready. Like, like back in the, back in the day, a major would be um, a silver leaf, and then you become a lieutenant colonel, which is a gold leaf, and then you become a full bird colonel as it moves up. I don't th that might have changed. It's been a long time. Like I said, former former military guy. Yeah. And also, spoiler wise, if I'm wrong, like I could be misstating this, I could be misremembering. Feel free to correct. That's a total okay to correct me on this one but <laughs> right. um but yeah yeah it is a far cry from major to colonel so but anyway all of that actually really doesn't have much to do with the episode uh they they come in um i mean jeff it, he's in there he, we know this guy 
he has a wife and three kids. This isn't some nameless face who's across the enemy lines. Uh, one, one of the things that, that uh, I've talked about on my other podcast is the idea that if you can dehumanize someone, if you can take their identity away and just put a label on them, right? We do this in politics all the time. Mm-hmm. Take the person away and just say, you're a lefty, you're a righty, you're a liberal, you're a conservative, you're a whatever. You take away who they are and and all the complexities that make them a person and boil it down to this one thing, that's much easier to hate than a person. And when you see the person, now it's real. And and the like I loved the I don't want to shoot any more of our people. Yeah, but if you don't, we're going to die. I understand. And yes, we need to do that. But there was a real moment of recognizing the gravity of this particular situation. And I very much appreciated that in an episode that is jam packed full that they took that moment and just expressed humanity in that moment. I feel like, I feel like they took three specific opportunities. There's that one, which was beautiful because it's, it's literally him saying, Hey, I killed this guy and I'm going to take two minutes and I'm going to acknowledge him and the impact that we have made by doing that. Like that was awesome. It reminded me really of um, the big battle in return of the Jedi when they get the star destroyer and it crashes down and the super star destroyer and it crashes down to the death star and Akbar is just heartbroken because that pilot of the a wing had to die for it mm-hmm. to happen. You know, everyone's like, yeah, we got an Admiral Akbar. I was like, yeah, but we lost one of ours to make it happen. And oh, that hit me like that. But the second time, was when the the destroyer came through to take him on and Sheridan reached out. It was a Captain Drake, I think it was. And he's like, uh-huh. dude, brother, brother, man, come on. Like just captain to captain. This is not cool. You know it's not cool. Come on, dude. Let's not do this. I thought it was neat. Like I wish they had taken a few a few more steps. Like maybe they knew each other, you know, or something. And he's able to be like, come on, you know, and, and called him by his first name or whatever. But the third one, which I thought was a beautiful really well done uh call back to grow pose was after the fight with the borders when they were done repelling the borders and there was just that that wash of bodies yeah that showed that was so similar to that scene showing the attacking force on grow pose that had all died but you had narn you had um babylon 5 security and you had earth force yeah all laying with each other bleeding on each other and it was just like we are all the same but there was a difference though jeff when we saw that scene in Gropos, it was it was a slow panning shot over a death field. In this one, a lot of those people were gasping for breath. They were still they were going to die. Those people are done. They will die momentarily. But for right now, they weren't just dead. They just didn't take a shot and all of a sudden they're dead. No, those people are bleeding out. Those people are in, are hemorrhaging internally and will not recover. You know what I mean? Like that's the gruesome side and they're all doing it together. Together. Death is not clean, right? There's actually, there's a theory of this in television or whatever of like, you know, Oh, I shot the guy and he went, Oh, and he's dead. And that's it. And that's not ever how it works. You know, it takes, I think it's like, if you get stabbed in the stomach, it can take three days for you to die. Mm -hmm. But in a movie or TV show, it's instantaneous, you know, and they showed us that. And I thought that was brave and I thought it humanized again, just, and not and in this case, in that scene, it wasn't just humans. There were Narns there as well. And it's yeah. just another thing of like, 
we're all bleeding together. And both, both sides lost something, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, both sides lost something. So on the borders, the, the coming on board, can we talk about what a stupid, dumb tactical choice Garibaldi made? Hey, let's, let's, let's set up here so we can, we can blast them. And they give him a whole like long length of hallway to get themselves organized. And then they just sort of blast and it's like, how do you have this job, man? How was I ever such a huge fan of yours? Yeah, he's not good at his job. No. I mean, either he's not good at his job or JMS isn't good at writing his job. I mean, this I, this really could just be, this is the difference between what somebody would do in real life and here's what we're doing for plot reasons and character development. So Garibaldi gets hurt. We see him hobbling around on a, on a staff. Now, the last time we saw somebody get, get hurt and hobbling around with a cane, the actress... Claudia Christensen had actually like broken her foot doing something. And so they wrote it into the story. I don't know that we know that anything's going on like that with Jerry Doyle, Jerry Doyle. Yeah. Nothing that I know of. Um, I'm curious how long we're going to see him hobbling around on Kane though. If you remember after the assassination attempt yeah. on him, when he healed for a while, he was using a cane also. So I wonder if this is like exacerbating an old injury. Now this is going to become like his trick knee, you know, yeah, sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. And- yeah. I got to tell you, I, did you think for a second Garibaldi was going to get it, that he was I done? Did. I really did too. I was like, does he leave the show? <gasps> like I expected done? Zach almost like, it's okay. It's okay. And then like cover his eyes Yeah, and Zach to walk away. And like, that's the moment Zach would become a man, you know, sort of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Although that happened last week, to be fair. That happened in the movie Grease. Uh, <laughs> it did a couple times. <laughs> I've had it since I was in the eighth grade. Right. Right. <laughs> let's just get to the meat of it talk about sheridan yep the show's already running long so let's get to where we need to be sheridan being once again absolutely the best leader you could possibly imagine god yeah and and being the absolute right guy for this and i want to start with his conversation with his dad because in that moment john sheridan felt a lot more like johnny to me talking to his old man Mm-hmm. You saw him as a kid in that moment going, Hey dad. Uh, and, and you, all of a sudden you get where he gets it. Cause his dad is just like, Hey, listen, I know you've got a lot of decisions. He says, he says at some point, he's like, I'm sure you're making a lot of tough decisions because all the important ones are always tough. Yeah. You know, he's like, don't you worry about us. We got, we're good out here. We're okay. Water, water sucking up the heat, but we're going to be all right. Our neighbors are going to help take care of us. Uh, and you gotta imagine is, is Sheridan concerned for his parents? Gotta be right. I mean, yeah, th- th- they're going to go do something to his parents for, because to of him. get to him. Yeah, exactly. But his dad just looks at me. He says, son, you got a lot to do. I'm going to let you go do it. Um, and, and he's like, they do the salute thing. And I, all I wanted for his dad to say in that moment was, I love you, son. That's all I wanted him to say. And eventually like Sheridan, like just before he goes, he goes, love you both. <laughs> like yeah. he, he throws it out but his and it, all his dad does is he just goes a little head nod mm-hmm. and that's all he does i'm sorry side note fast forward to when delenn comes back on the station and they meet at the end and you're like sheridan needs to say something right now and he doesn't oh and then oh the other one was when uh ivanova leaves cnc to go join the star furies and they stop and look at each other and sheridan all sheridan needed to say in that moment was hey take care of yourself Right. Hey, come back, whatever. And they just stare at each other. I'm like, what is it with the Sheridan men not saying what they actually need to say in the last moment? 
Well, I feel like that's a that's a that's a good commentary on masculinity in the mid to late nineties in general Probably. and how it's impacted yeah. people. Yeah. I loved so it, it hit me the the dad thing hit me in a couple ways, but the big one was he didn't say I, I, I was waiting for the I love yous as well. Yeah, you know, in my family we're big on that, right? My, I always told my parents every time I love you, I love you. So it's a big thing, but but he did say to Sheridan that, or to John that I thought was great was I'll talk to you when I talk to you. Yeah. And it reminded me, my grandpa, who was in World War II, he was in the Navy in World War II, and he had a thing where he he would never, ever say goodbye, and he would never let you say goodbye mm. to him. He, he'd actually say, he's like, I've said goodbye to too many people. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I don't want to say it again. He said, just, I'll be seeing you. Yeah. I'll be seeing you. Because one way or another, he's a man of faith as well. And so he's like, one way or another, I'll be seeing you. This life or the next or whatever. And I and I felt like that was kind of like, you know, uh, Mr. Sheridan's thing was like, hey, I'll talk to you when I talk to you. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm not saying goodbye. I trust you. I know you're doing great stuff. And look, we're good. You do you. And I'll talk to you next time I talk to you. It's all good. So is I feel like that was toxic 90s masculinity caring dad way of saying i love you i, I mean it, it, it was a fantastic message it was just this one little bit i'm like mm, and you're right but bigger than that and jeff this made me think about myself if i were to ask my son this question what would he say what is the first lesson i ever taught you yeah what what Oof. it like and i okay let's substitute not what's the first lesson what's the main lesson i've taught you growing up like what, what is that? Like, what, what would you say, Jeff? Like what, what is the lesson you've taught your kid? What, if they're, if they're talking later, what would they say? What would they say? That's, that's a, that's, that's a tough one. What, what I, I'll tell you what I hope she would say. Uh-huh. It is important to take good care of yourself so that you can take really good care of other people. That is what I talk about to the people I work with and to her yeah. all the time. And whether she's hearing it or not, I don't know. She's seven, right? So, right, like, right. shoot, almost eight. Like, it's but uh, you keep repeating it and repeating it. Lessons learned are not lessons taught once. Exactly. And I, I'm going to ask you the same question in a moment. But like, I was probably in my early 30s before I could verbalize the lesson my dad taught me. You know what I mean? Like, it takes a lot of time. But what what, what do you think? What do you think uh, your your son would say? I would I would hope uh, he and my daughter both uh, would say. They they would say one of two things, and I'm okay with either one of them being first. One would be, I am my dad's son, or I am my dad's daughter. Like, that's who they are. Who who am I? I am your son. That's that's the the existence that they live in. You know what I mean? I am me, son of Brent. Yeah, no, like like it it it's it, that that they and that has nothing to do with me as much as that has to do with who they are does not depend on what they do, where they go, how much money they make, what their job is, what clothes they're wearing. It depends on their identity of, of who they are, who loves them, who's a part of their life, who, what, what's around. Like, that's what I mean by that. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, your identity is wrapped up in who you are, not what you do. Right. And and we've talked about identity a lot on this show over the, the last yeah. two and a half seasons. Almost turn it into I am me, son of Brent, father of so and so. Yeah. Right. Like like that that whole connection to everything and what's important to you and what you love. Yeah, I get that. I like that. So it would either be that or it would be, Hey, we're the Allen family. What do we do? We love people. That that is our mantra. We love people. People matter. 
people are the number one thing we we are concerned about people over all else i don't care if you're i don't care if i'm right what does this do for people you know what i mean yeah. we are about people in this family and and we like i would be okay with either one of those two as an answer but i also love never start a fight but f- always finish it that's a great one for my now 10 year old that's an appropriate lesson for him yeah I love it. I, yeah, never start a fight, but I love that. That's what played out in the fight. Like sure. It's like, look, I'm not going to start this. You're going to come in here. You're going to, you're going to run on this. You can, I'm going to make you throw the first punch, but if you throw the first punch, I will throw the last punch. There was some, I forget. I forget. I might've, I don't remember the movie. It might've been breakfast club. I'm probably wrong, but somebody's like, uh, like, yeah, we're going to fight. He's like, if we do this, there's going to be two hits. Me hitting you, you hitting the floor. Right. And I remember, too, it was my grandpa who told me, he's like, no, there should always be three. There should be the one they throw that you dodge, then the one where you hit them, and the one where they hit the floor. Yeah. Like, but I still like that. There'll be two hits. That sounds yeah. pretty, it's yeah. pretty rough. <laughs> so Sheridan talks with his dad, makes a decision. Go, like he he's processing all of this he's wadding up the martial law order in the last episode and throwing it away and he he gets to a spot where he has to look at his command staff his guys they're coming for us they are coming for us they are going to arrest us now we can either surrender and they'll court martial us or we can fight and if we lose they're going to execute us he appealed to this, which I thought sounded cool, but in reality is not cool because I think the rest of the people would be like, I don't care what you promised her. He said, I promised Delin that we would draw a line and be a thing of like, and if I'm sitting there like, frankly, I'm like, dude, I don't care what you promised Delin. Let's talk about us. <laughs> like, well, and frankly, in, in the face of Earth Force coming to blow you sky high, uh-huh. the whole light versus dark thing just sounded corny. And she's like, yeah, right. I get that's important to you, dude no one else at this point yeah but you know what made it sound way cooler when you go the line must be drawn here here and no further <laughs> that made it sound cool nidavanova says you broke your little ship <laughs> <laughs> i'm writing your i'm writing yours on that one fair enough fair enough but i loved i loved though because he gave he gave them a chance to enroll in what he was doing and then two times in cnc he gave people a chance to walk away yeah and be cool and and one dude did did you see the look of disgust on bruce box lightner's face when he and ivanova too yeah, yeah. Both, they're both just like like he, he the guy i mean good for him he took his headset off he walked up but they both watched him just like you scum of the earth yeah garbage yeah i need to have that conversation with that guy like dude what do you not understand what's going on here i mean i speak people, people can still sit there and be like no no but we swore an oath and he's the guy and mm-hmm. that's what i'm following and but it all goes back to what he said a couple episodes ago there's respect for the office and then there's respect for the person in the office and those are two very different things oh you must have been a guy who voted for him okay Uh uh-huh but again i think i said it last week i'll say it again ivanova totally dropped the ball on corwin yeah you know hey i asked him two questions he answered it the way anyone would so he's not in he was totally in and he i feel like he had a fire like during that fight when he's calling out what was going on like he was in it yeah this has not been a great season for Ivanova. Ivanova is not who Ivanova has been. You think of season one, Ivanova, even beginning of season two, where she's like, look, if you guys don't like it, I'm going to throw you in an airlock and I'm going to open up the seal and we'll see who, who likes it then. Yeah. You know, like, you know, she's, she, oh, I do hope you're going to resist. 
Ivanova is God. I am not just kidding. Like that's the Ivan that Ivanova does not exist right now. No. Uh, she's worried about Marcus hitting on her too much. And I, honestly, she's just doing her job. Like that's, that's her lines are her job and not even doing it. Well, again, like the Corwin thing that was not done well, you know, and she's been given some diplomatic things that she stumbled into to make work. Well, but I, you know, and I go back to, you remember that dude that she was supposed to sign an alliance with and like, you wanted to sleep with her at the end of season. Yeah. Lou, uh, the Lumati, I think. It yeah, was. yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And she just had to act like an absolute buffoon. I almost feel like since then, like she's just lost her edge and I want her to get it back. Well, I think, I think she got a piece of it in this episode when she's like, I need to go out with the star fury crew. Okay. So was that the right call for Ivanova or not? What do you think? So you can defend both sides. I can as well, but I think it was the right call. Let's go with why do you think it was the right call first? No, no, sorry. Take that back. Why was it the wrong call first? It was the wrong call because it puts her an important person in the command structure of everything that's going on at extreme, extreme risk. And it also undercuts whomever is commanding the, the, the star fury squadrons. That was basically saying, yep. It's basically saying, Hey, when it's day to day, you're great, but right now it matters. So I need to step in and take this over. Like that's the reason to not do that. Right. Right. And that, that was honestly my reason for not doing it was that that whole squadron has a commander and that commander has worked their way up to that. And it's, it's not, uh, listen, in a moment like this, I'm not worried about your feelings, Jack. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Ivanova was not there to command the troops. Her presence was there for one of solidarity of, Hey, we're not going to ask you guys to go do anything that we're not going to do ourselves. And we're going to be on the battlefield with you. And that's, that's good. I'm with you on that because nobody likes that guy sitting up in the office in the ivory tower, just being, uh, being safe while we're the ones putting ourselves online. I'm going to be here with you, her taking the command like that. Although it may have been right given, you know, uh, the hierarchy, the hierarchy. But one of the things I know from watching sci-fi now, I don't know if this works out in the real Navy or not, Jeff, you can, you can enlighten me, but in sci-fi, when an admiral comes on the ship, and the highest person is normally a captain. The ship is still the captain's. Mm-hmm. Now the admiral can come in and 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 countermand orders and and go over the captain's head, but typically the admiral still lets the captain command the ship. The only person Ivanova should have then actually been talking to should have been whoever their fleet commander was uh, in that moment. Or I, again, I don't know how it works. I'm not out there in Star Furies. Those guys are moving so fast. You don't have time to play nice with people's feelings. I get it. Well, I think I, I, I thought I thought of her in this scene as as a flag, right? You know, I mean, you think about the old like Revolutionary War battles, and there was always the flag bearer and the drummer, you know, and the fife next to them, you know, playing a song, holding the flag. They weren't shooting anybody. They weren't fought. They were literally just like holding up the thing that says, "Hey, that's what we're fighting for." Yeah, right yeah. there. I you know I can dig deeper. That's was that was her role in this, or, or should have been her role. Mm-hmm. Maybe not commanding anything. If anything. Um, building up the command commander says, uh, you know, get, get on my six, do this, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, yeah, great job. You know, whatever cheerleading, whatever context makes sense in that really hot dog fight kind of mentality. But her role is basically saying, Hey, all of you have agreed to essentially counter an order from the commander in chief. Not only are you putting yourselves at risk physically in this battle, but 
if we win and get out of this, your career is on the line. Yeah. I'm going to be there with you on the front line. And I think that's, we, we, we've seen that, uh, with, with Zelensky in Ukraine, he's not necessarily fighting. He's not necessarily giving orders, but he's walking the front line and he's talking to soldiers and he's being there as a flag to remind them what they're fighting for. That's why I felt I was all for Ivanova doing it until she started issuing some orders. But then when she had to eject what she bought with that moment, and it wasn't intentional, right? Like literally she was distracted by what was going on and then had the collision and, and, and everything went south from there. But for her to have had to eject in battle and come back in, that Star Fury team will straight murder anyone and will take any bullet for her because she she died for them, essentially. I, I got to tell you, when she did that, I 100% thought she was about to get uh, captured. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I like I really thought that she was she was going to uh, wind up like in Earth Force clutches and they were going to run away with her or something Oof, like that. Yeah. And then it turns into a personal like rescue mission. Mm-hmm. They waited way too long from it wasn't even clear that she hit the eject button, right? Like she was getting ready to. And then her shit. Well, I saw her, I saw her, I saw her reach up. Like yeah. as soon as she reached up, I was pretty confident. So, but that's what she for did. me, I was like, so she reached up, she was getting ready. Then her ship blew up. And then it was like five, eight, some odd minutes before they were like, oh yeah, she's in med. Like no one even mentioned her. And, and it would have been great if someone was just like, I don't know, as soon as things settled down and been like, yeah, yeah we, we're, we're scooping up the people who ejected. We got Ivanova. She's headed to med lab. Oh, okay, cool. But it went on a long time of just like, did she make it like what happened? Is she okay? What, uh, what are we doing here? Are we going to lose Garibaldi and Ivanova in this thing? Like I felt like Sheridan mm-hmm. missed an opportunity. So at the end of the episode, right, he's talking to major Hayes and Hayes is like, Hey, we're going to take care of, you know, Hoshi, uh, Hiroshi's crew and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then as they're walking, I was like, Hey, you're forgetting something. Cause he didn't have his uniform on. Yeah. It's like, Nope, can't wear it. Thought, can't saw that it. coming. hundred percent saw that coming. Everyone else was wearing them. I was shocked at that. Yep. I thought it was really poor taste. But what I wish would have happened is when he was doing his address to everybody using the hol- uh, draws hologram thing. Yeah. Is he, 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 you know, he's walking through the Declaration of Independence. And when he got to the line that said he seceded, I wish he would have reached over and pulled off his Earth Force insignia at that moment. Just a punctuation mark. And then I wish, again... Everyone who stuck around took it off, and the whole rest of the episode is people with their stat bar and no Earth Force Alliance thing on their lapel or on their on their chest. That would have been big. But the last scene to be everyone there wearing their Earth Force uniform with their Earth Force insignia felt pretty disingenuous. On the other side of it, I still think that they feel very Earth Force. They're still connected to Earth. In fact, mm-hmm. even in his secession speech, what he said was, we are going to be an independent state until Clark is removed from office. And then we'll, we're, we're, we're right back. Like we're still a part of this, you know? Um, and, and yeah, in fact, it's not them who are leaving earth force. They see president Clark is the one who has left. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and so I kind of see why they would have kept that on. Also, what else, what other uniform do they have right now? Right. They've got their, uh, you know, little mater D outfits from the, from the pilot episode. Right. Right. I felt like it was pretty like heavy hand. He kept throwing around the term unconstitutional. Yeah. And I think for us in, a, I'll say a post 
9-11 world, as we talk about things like the Patriot Act and blah, 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 and these things, that term constitutional and unconstitutional carries a big weight for it. So I went and did a little bit of research Ooh. on martial law okay. in the United States. All so right. this is this is through a United States constitutional and legal lens. I don't know what it's like in other countries, but in the United States in the ninth, early, early uh, or after the Civil War in the late 19th century, there was a lot of concern about the government powers and exercise throwing the military in to go basically run martial law. So they passed a law called the Insurrection Act. And then the Insurrection, Insurrection Act, it defines when and how and puts a lot of boundaries around when the president can activate the military against American citizens on American soil. So you can declare martial law, but it is excruciatingly specific as to how and when it's been challenged a number of times in the Supreme court and the Supreme court has upheld what's in the insurrection act. And that was, it was updated, uh, gosh, about 10 years ago, I think uh -huh. they, they, they amended it a little bit and just added more clarity to a point where like back, what, three years ago when during the, after George Floyd was murdered and there were the, the riots and things yep. going on. And then president Trump was like, we're going to send the national guard out and we're going to activate the military. He would not have legally been allowed to send the military. Like it wouldn't have lined up with what was in the insurrection act. So we couldn't even do that. So through the lens of the United States, Sheridan's hundred percent, right? Every Clark cannot dissolve the Senate. Clark cannot turn on citizens like bombing Mars. Like you can't bomb citizens on Mars. You can't do that. That's unconstitutional. So through that lens, legally, Maybe Major, uh, what's his name? Uh, Major Ryan is like the ranking Earth official at this point. But sh I mean, Sheridan's speech on the hollow, which, by the way, the only time I, this is the first time I have ever seen somebody be on a hollow like that, like this big, huge, gigantic, I'm delivering a speech and have that be a good guy. Right. That's always <laughs> a bad guy move right there. <laughs> and it was awesome. It was so, it was awesome amazing and clearly everybody was for it that that final scene of the episode of everyone clapping yeah for them on the zocalo like he has united this group but i think and this is kind of my last thought on on all of this was they dropped this one little piece at the end of hey we got the prisoners rounded up we're sending everybody away except the people who we don't know are night watch or whatever and i think sheridan even says he's like we're gonna have some sabotage we got to watch out here for a while they had a line of night watch people getting kicked out with their armbands on and everything and so here's the thing is there not a spot where you where you look at those folks and you say hey i'm gonna give you one chance to drop that armband if you want to go back you can go back but if you want to stay and you're a part of this do you not give them that opportunity to to do that I don't think so. Not at this no. point. I think that opportunity was last week when they were lined up with SG one and Zach. Okay. Fair enough. So apparently all, uh, uh, what is Babylon five to earth? Let me ask you that. Why can they declare independence? Because they're a station. Are they considered a colony? A call? I could see a colony declaring independence An outpost. Maybe not so much. And I would think that Babylon five would fall way more into an outpost rather than a colony. I think about like, is Fort Dix going to say, yep, oh, we're our own independent state now. 
Right. Except Fort Dix doesn't have 250,000 people on it. And, and really what we, what we learned in, and now for a word and a couple other episodes in there, really Babylon five was just a money sink. As far as a lot of people saw, it's just a dangerous place with a waste of taxpayer dollars. I actually found it interesting when the Minbari showed up and I think it was captain Drake says, or somebody said, you don't have, you have no authority here. Like we don't recognize your authority or something. Like I very keenly remember the Minbari uh, throwing money at Babylon five to, to make it a thing, being a part of the selection committee for Sinclair, you know, right. like there was a lot of things that Minbari had to do with this. Was that just like one lump sum payment? Was it like, we're going to give you X million credits so we can pick your commanding officer and then, and then we're out and it's all on you earth force. Or I think, I think there were still questions because ultimately God, if I'm Babylon five and I've just seceded from earth, we now have zero credits. Hopefully everyone's cool working for free. Those dock workers sure haven't been in the past. I mean, I mean, your yeah, your money no longer means anything now. Yeah, right. Uh, we're gonna have to make our own. I mean that that was the same thing. Um, again, for, forgive me to our international folks. I I know our history. When when the American Revolution happened, they had to figure out money. That was a thing. Like, mm-hmm. what do we do? How does this work? Is it actually gonna be worth anything? So, okay, let's where we are in plot. Babylon five has now declared its independence. They have won the first battle. That does not mean that, that all the battles are over. Like, I don't, I, I would be shocked if they had to keep dealing with earth Force sending ships out to try to retake Babylon five. That honestly, that would, that would be a plot line that would just get really old really fast from a, from a mm-hmm. drama perspective. Like, like they've got to move on. Um, I, you know, spoiler alert. The next episode probably has to be okay. Now we're an independent state. What do we do now? It's got to, it, it has to go into that question, is what I think there. And I think next week's episode is going to be a, a come down off of the intensity of this, of this episode. That's, that's just my guess. But still, Earth Force just can't be like, oh, okay, we're just going to let you go. They're not going to let them just go. I think it's going to get, it's going to get dirtier now because if those Minbari vessels stick around, they can't send ships and earth knows that. So this is going to turn into, are, are the Minbari presenting a blockade, a protective blockade on, on in, in front Bob? of uh in front of the wormhole. <laughs> maybe they'll mine. Maybe they'll mine it. Oh, geez, Jeff. Oh, I wasn't even going there. You went there. I wasn't even going there for that, but I, I do think they're going to stick around. And so we're, we're going to get more, I, th- I think Sheridan said it at the end. We're going to get more sabotage. We're going to get uh-huh. more tension. There's going to be more questions about, cause this someone that we can trust. They've sown some seeds around the Narn, you know, and who can, hey, are the Narn going to be okay with this? And so I think that's going to be some of it. It's going to be more of that dark tension that we have to deal with. So they're an independent state. That's what we've, <gasps> is Sheridan, what is Sheridan going to become now? Well, he's the governor. He even said he's like as the captain and governor of this. So yeah, he's, he's like, so I I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just pulling this. I'm pulling this from our, again, our own history. Just, is he going to become a president? Like, are they going to establish a constitution and he becomes a president or will they do elections? And maybe it's not Sheridan and he stays as the military guy and there's somebody else who becomes the president and we barely ever see them on the show. Just like another sci-fi show that we do. Well, I think if if that's, if president Clark and earth don't go down, then I could see it going there. But then, but then we, but then we get Battlestar Galactica 
right that that turned into a into a big political you know who's this and who's running that and right so i i, I don't know if we'll ever if we'll go there i think it's just going to be jay sheridan's the man like he's he's the guy in charge all hail the sheridan and it's cool um last thing i had uh holy hell that was a lot of star furies out there in the oh. battle i was like wow i didn't know there was that many out there when that was the alexander and the churchill were kind of next to each other and they're like you know launch the fighters it was just like this cotton whoosh, like a garden like a fire hose of star right? flying out there i i gotta say i really hope moving forward that we meet some of the churchill star fury pilots and that they maintain some sort of a difference from the babylon 5 star fury pilots or that there's something about them integrating and Oh, Jeff, do you have, do you, can I borrow one? I got one. Yeah, you can have can it. I, can I have it? I think I have one, but I'll, I'll say, yeah, you can have one. Okay. Cause I know where you're going. I, I hope this isn't a Maquis Voyager thing where all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're all good. Like, like I, these, these groups need to come together and it might, it, they're not going to be, they're not going to have animosity towards each other. At least they shouldn't not like the way the Maquis and the Voyager crew did, but I want to see like, no, 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 we are actually from the Churchill group, not just, all right, we're here on Babylon five now. So now we're Babylon five. Like they just lost their ship and all their buddies and all those, their captain, they lost everything. Those folks need to deal with that and not just be okay. Being on Babylon five now filling out their dead ranks. I think, I think it might be more like Battlestar Galactica. I, I've referenced Battlestar Galactica a lot. You have, you're making me want to go rewatch that show now. I know it's so good. There was this the the little um, mini mini movie they did, and then it led to some people on board. They found the other the other battle star, the one that um, I don't have any references yep, left. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I forget the name of it, but some of them joined the crew of Battlestar Galactica, and they had this ongoing stuff like, well, on our ship we did things like this, and you know, you and just I think especially within the flight groups. They had they had some of that. So that would be cool to kind of have some of those those uh those ongoing pieces. Uh so anyway, it's time to boil this all down and see if the show has any of that Star Trekky quality to it that we keep looking for. Is there a deep moral message? Is there a mirror to society? Are we giving us hope that we can be better in the future? Jeff, I'm gonna start this by rating us on a scale of zero to five deltas as far as how quote unquote Star Trek this episode is, and you get the fun one. You get to rate zero to five star furies as far as how much we enjoyed this episode. I'll go first with the deltas. We've talked a bit about it, but there was one line, one line to me that stands out above the rest and it hovered over the entire episode. This wasn't a throwaway line. Okay. A lot of times we get a star Trek line and it just, it just sort of slips in there and then they move on. But this really, I think hovered over the whole thing. Uh, Sheridan says at one point, our humanity got us into this. And it will be our humanity that gets us out our, our flaws, our fatalness, our selfishness, all the, all the gross stuff that comes with just being human. Cause we're not perfect. We are, we as a, as, as a race are a race of flawed individuals. Every single one of us, not a one of us is perfect. You know, I, there might've been that one guy if, if you're in that spot, but not a one of us is perfect. Right. Right. But at the same time, that that same thing that makes us flawed people is also the thing that you can hang your hat on. It is also the thing that gives you hope to be better in the future. One of the things I loved, loved about going through Beam Me Up was 
going through the um uh going through the series and i was it when we got to enterprise i want to say is when we got to enterprise and what you realize is the universe was a mess the vulcans were a mess the klingons were a mess everybody was a mess until earth came on the scene now we were young we were stupid we were a little cavalier but it was when earth got on the scene the earth ships that all of a sudden we started to be able to shift and move towards a better uh us in the future some people accepted it and accepted the challenge like the vulcans because the vulcans particularly in the early seasons of of uh uh enterprise were jerks they were not good people objectively they were bad people they were not this ideal vulcan that we see when we first meet spock back in 1960 something or other there's the war going on between them and the andorians the tellarites are just out doing whatever the heck they are but it was humanity that brought everybody together that the humans are the hope of the future that that because we have this capacity yes of flawedness of being able to do evil we also have this capacity of being really good and being a powerful positive influence and that i think is what sheridan slash jms was appealing to with this line it is our humanity that got us into this but it's also going to be our humanity that gets us out because we're we're not going to start the fight we'll finish it but we're not going to start it we're going to care about people we're going to value people uh and not just humans but we're going to value all life jeff this, i mean that is that is quintessentially the whole star trek thing the Mimbari are going to come to the rescue. Like we're going to come together because we're working together. You now have, think about where we are now, Jeff, you've got the humans that are on board Babylon five working with the Narns who are now part of the security force. And now you have the Mimbari who have stepped up, adding protection to the, to the, to the whole deal. The Centauri are out there still kind of going off half cocked. We don't know anything about them. The non-aligned worlds are kind of miss, miss, uh, mismatch they're they're kind of a little here a little not there but the the main ones are there and obviously the vorlons are are in on this whole thing as well like they're they're keeping an arm's distance but you know we've seen kosh now insert himself a few times the station is becoming what it's set out to be it's not just hey earth is running this the humans are running everything and you guys are just coming here playing in our backyard the station is becoming more integrated among all its people and i love that i love that that to me is a great great star trek message so much of this episode was pew 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 so much of this episode was action 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 but i think this one idea if you look at it that way that our humanity got us into this sure it did but it's also going to help us get us out that pervaded everything throughout this whole deal that pervaded delenn going to talk to the great council that pervaded Sheridan talking to his dad that pervaded the big, scary holographic bad guy image where he declared his own, uh, uh, independence that, that did the way that they chose to fought the way that they accept the, the, the orphaned star fury pilots from the Churchill now at the end to the people clapping with Sheridan at the end. So, uh, with that, Jeff, this gives me a solid three and a half star furies. It's not, bang you over the head with all the star trek stuff but it is front and center it is right up there and then there was a lot of pew 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 i'm gonna challenge you a little bit do it 
And I'm going to do it with four words, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. I guess that's five words, right? IDIC, which is really one of the foundational pieces of Star Trek. And what it basically says is that you can only create true beauty, which is a theme through Babylon five, yeah. but true beauty, truth, true strength through diversity. In fact, even the symbol, the IDIC symbol, which is a circle made out of one type of material that's smooth and whatever, a triangle made out of a different kind of metal that's bumpy and kind of rough with a jewel in the middle. It takes different things to create amazing pieces. And that the theme of this entire episode was that when left alone, when in complete darkness, they found beauty in their diversity. So Kosh way back in there, I think it was there all the other honor lie. I don't remember a lot of the season two ones, but when he took him to, you know, Hey, even in darkness, there's real, there's beauty to be found. He took Sheridan and showed him that we saw that in action here. And this is part of my star theory piece as well on how Babylon five, everything was, but it took infinite diversity to beat the unbeatable force. And that scene with everyone on the Zocalo clapping what struck me in that scene wasn't that everyone was cheering for the little command group and for Sheridan. It was that there were Drazi there cheering. There were Narn there, was there? cheering. There were- I, I was wondering, guys, I, I I really didn't see, but I was also, lo- I was looking, honestly, I was looking at that poster in the background before they gave us the close-up of it. You know, yeah, that poster uh, was a big thing, but that 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 sea of people that they were able to get, that I'm sure was a bunch of crew, you know, whatever, and they put like a little bit of makeup on. But that was a very diverse group of people of multiple races, species, and and factions that came together. And that's how they've been able that that's why they could secede. That's why they could push back Earth Force, because they flexed infinite diversity and infinite combinations and created beauty in darkness. I don't know if that's worth more deltas to you. Oh, is it worth more deltas? I see, I see. So here's here's an interesting thing. Because I I hear everything you're saying. I think we said basically the same thing because what is infinite diversity and infinite combinations with humans and all these aliens? That is a metaphor for infinite diversity, infinite combinations here on earth right now with humanity, Mm -hmm. given all the different people groups, all the political groups, all the religious groups, all the, everything that makes us different. And Jeff, you said it amazingly just a second ago, we work best in diversity, right? Like bringing that together. That is. And, and when Sheridan said, yeah, our humanity got us in this, but it's our humanity that will get us out. It's us being able to, to uh, come bring everybody together. That's the thing that's going to get us out. That's infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Just without the star Trek reference words that you said, I will do this though, because I, I agree with you. And I, I struggled with where I, I, I really try not to just go oh five deltas. Oh, it's all there. So I may have graded it. I've always been a, oh, you know, I'm a teacher. I will say this. I think I'm a great teacher. I'm also a tough grader. I've always been a tough grader. I will give you another half Delta and make this a four Delta episode. Love it. I, on How the other you? hand, yeah, what is yeah, say on the other hand, I'm going to do the thing you're avoiding to say this is five star fears. Cause that's what <laughs> it is. Right. Yeah. If we, we if if you're on the audio piece, this is different. But right now on YouTube, we just cro- crossed the two hour mark, and all we've been talking about is how incredible, how amazing, how fun, how challenging, how great this episode was. This just at, pre- predict something for me, Jeff, right now. Okay, 
for the for the audio folk. We don't we don't usually do stuff exclusive to the audio folk. The YouTube folk will never get this at all. When you go in and you make all your edits and you suck out all the pauses and everything like that, we're right at two hours right now. Where is this in the audio feed? Make your guess. This will be at an hour forty two. Okay, it's my guess. All right, people, I want you to go back, subtract one oh minute my from God, right an now. Hour forty two. This is a long episode. I know it is. <laughs> subtract one minute from from where you guys are right now, and then uh, tweet us at and tell us where this winds up being. Oh yeah, five star furies, awesome, awesome uh, episode. So Jeff, two more things, and then we're out of here. Just like last season, we are creating the absolute one hundred percent completely accurate definitive ranking of season three Babylon five. The question is, where are you going to put severed dreams? You get to place it this week. Two weeks ago, you said, hey, we're going to put messages from Earth at number one, although I suspect it's only going to be there for one week. You were absolutely right. Last week, I replaced messages from Earth with point of no return, and that was the correct move. The question is, are you going to replace point of no return and only give that one week in the number one slot as good of an episode as that was and replace it with severed dreams? Bearing in mind... Point of No Return is the 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 titular episode of season three. This should be an easy answer. It is not. And I have been, literally since I took my notes earlier today, I have been stressed out about this moment. <laughs> right. I'll just tell you, right? From, it, this is number one or it's number two. This is literally a question of where it goes in relation to Point of No Return. And so we... We, uh, we, we look at this in two ways. How Babylon 5 is this episode and how much did we enjoy it? That's Star Furies, actually. So, but I'm going to use that as, as as kind of a guide in ranking this, because holy crud these these two episodes, these three episodes, I I would argue that to this point in the series, you don't get more Babylon Five than these three episodes. I remember a season ago, almost exactly a season ago, when the coming of shadows, when we did we did that episode, and the community was incredible. They were they they were in unison of this episode is Babylon five. Like yeah. this is what you do. And yeah, at that point, hundred percent at that point, but then in the shadow is aha doom kind of eclipsed it. And, and I'm, if I remember in our ranking, that, right and all that stuff. It, yeah, yeah, it, it kind of yeah. fell in, in, in outside of the top five in that. I think these three are much more Babylon five than even that. And I think there's two big things that are going to land on my final ranking for this one. What we said very early, either in this episode or even before we went on Mike, I forget which, but that was, you could show this episode to someone who had never watched Babylon five before, and they would be hooked. They wouldn't have all the answers. It wouldn't be, you know, the, the end all be all, but they, this would hook them into the series. And two, like I shared my wife who is not a fan of Babylon five was moved by the big aha, the big secession in this episode. Brent severed dreams is the number one episode of season three so far. I literally added that to our ranking about three minutes ago. <laughs> you know me so well. <laughs> well, after 56 episodes, you know. Well, hey, Brent, that's it for Severed Dreams. Next week, we're going to watch another episode. I think we're going to drop out of this little uh, this little arc that we've been in. And all we know at this point is the name of the episode. It is Ceremonies of Light and Dark. So all we know is the title. We The game we like to play here is we're going to guess what the episode's going to be about based on that only. So, Brent, what do you think Ceremonies of Light and Dark is going to be about? Well, I said earlier in this episode that this has to be about Babylon 5 now figuring out how to live as an independent state. You know, maybe they figure out what the Constitution looks like and what what does it mean? Like, what are they going to be? Are they still just going to be a, 
an ambassadorial space station? Are they now a military thing? Like, like what are they? Because they still have 250,000 people living there, right? But ceremonies of light and dark, I really want to try to be careful not to just be drawn in by a title because we know sometimes that doesn't matter. But when, like, I think of ceremonies of light and dark, we talk about being the separating line between light and dark, but also there's a lot of dead people on the ship right now or the station right now. And there we're talking about ceremonies of, of stuff. I think that this is going to be a post-war or post-battle get everybody back together. Like we might see some funerals. That's the ceremony of dark. That's the the sad stuff. Uh, We might see, I don't know if there's relationships that might break because of this, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but then there's also ceremonies of light. We mentioned maybe Sheridan becomes a president or something like that. Like, what are the what are the ceremonies that now need to happen? Um, because does oh are Sheridan and Dylan gonna get married because now they're partners? It, That'd uh, be like, so fast. Like a, That'd be, so, be fast. so fast. Oh, they are slow playing this relationship. There's absolutely no way that that happens. I don't even know if they're gonna get married by the end, but they're gonna be a couple before the whole thing's said and done. Oh yeah. Uh, the way he pulled her in at the end of this episode, like he didn't do that to anybody else. He well, and she's hanging girl. on him. Like, yeah, yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's. He kissed her hand when she tried to like shake it. And he was like, anyway, but I think that's going to, this is going to be a lot of the cleaning up the fallout. Uh, and I, I think maybe the figuring out how the station runs might be the episode after that. But okay. I think this is the, the immediate, like bring out the, bring out the broom. We got to clean this up now. What do you think? So I agree at the high level, this is about cleaning things up and moving forward. But I think this is going to focus on Delenn. I think that, she has broken the council. She's got the warrior cast that are upset. And so I think when I hear, when I hear the light and dark and Delenn even invoked that, you know, we are all that stands between the candle and the star. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, you know, that, that place of the, of the gray. So I think that the four that didn't walk away on the council, who I'm assuming are the warrior cast are mm-hmm. going to invoke some sort of a right. And this will be, um, Ooh. Like a trial, like a trial for Delenn Ooh. and and the council members that left. That will ultimately what it will do is codify the break of the council, and then this is a new thing I, I hadn't even considered before. You brought it up. We'll set the warrior cast on the path to ally with the shadows, and then bring the rest of them in Bari under the Babylon Five umbrella. Yeah, I really, I really do think that uh, the warrior cast is going to wind up with the shadows. Yeah, they're bad guys. They have they to. Totally. I mean, like. Yeah, that's that. You talk about the Memori breaking. I mean, good lord. Yeah. Uh, Drawl said it. He's like, I don't even recognize Memori anymore, right? Well, we'll find out next week. Thank you all so much for joining us. Please don't forget to follow us or subscribe wherever you're listening. And if you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. And if you haven't already, please stop by Apple Podcasts, leave us or or good pods like uh, we, we talked about earlier here or anywhere else. Leave us a rating, review, and I'll read it right here on the podcast. So until next time. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, Brent. You know, it, it, it's strange. Um, I'm not getting a match on your identity card over here. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a big deal, dude. Like you know, you know who I am. <laughs> of course, I know who you are. It's the computer that's the problem. Hey, no, 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 no. Look, no, look, stop, you stop, listen, stop, stop, listen. No, I've got other people waiting behind you. Just step aside, please. Peace, victory, long life. This is my first time.